With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 296th episode of Awards Chatter the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of the top up-and-coming actresses in the business. Within one week this summer, she received an Emmy nomination for Best Supporting Actress in a, in a Limited Series or TV Movie for her portrayal of Anne Ranking, the great dancer and one-time romantic partner of Bob Fosse, in the FX Limited Series Fosse Verdon, and she attended the Hollywood premiere of Quentin Tarantino's film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, in which she plays Pussycat a fictional member of the Manson family, opposite Brad Pitt, and for which she has garnered rave reviews, the beautiful and talented Margaret Qualley. Over the course of our conversation at the offices of The Hollywood Reporter, the 24-year-old daughter of the actress Andy McDowell reflects on her extensive background in dance and why she walked away from her pursuit of a career as a ballerina, tried modeling, and then walked away from that as well. How she wound up trying and falling in love with acting, the last thing she ever imagined herself doing, how her early roles on the TV series The Leftovers from 2014 through 2017 in a 2016 Spike Jones-directed ad for Kenzo World Perfume, and in films such as the 2016 blockbuster The Nice Guys and the 2017 indie Novitiate, paved the way for her incredible 2019, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. Good to have you. We always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living? I think you may have a more interesting answer than some as far as that. I don't know about that. <laughs> um, thank you for having me. I was born in Montana, in Missoula. Well, I grew up like an hour outside of Missoula, a place called Nine Mile at first. And then you said, what do my parents do? Yeah. Uh, my mom is an actress, a very talented actress. Can we give her a shout out? Uh, Annie McDowell. Yes. And my dad, Paul Qualley, is, uh, he's got a kind of unconventional job, but he basically builds houses by himself over the course of, you know, what's potentially five or so years because he does it by himself. Wow. Um, and makes these really beautiful, beautiful homes. Wow. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I guess... Because of what you've ended up doing, I have to ask, like, growing up, did you or your siblings, you know, was it sort of clear from the beginning that you had an interest in following in your mom's footsteps in a way? Or was that sometimes kids want to do anything but what their parents do? So, yeah. you know, where did you fall on that? Well, I grew up dancing and uh, I was really serious about dance and my sister danced as well. And I didn't really have any interest in acting when I was a kid because... The only thing that I really liked on set was craft service. <laughs> and, um, we didn't have that much candy in the household, and I would just kind of raid their candy. And, um, Which sets were you on? Um, Do you gosh, I the one I remember the most, I actually don't know what movie it was for, but yep. we went to this island on the coast of Italy, and that was really cool. It's a place called Panarea. I don't even know if I'm 
pronouncing mm-hmm. that right, but it was a unactive volcano that I stayed. I stayed there for two months, and I was really little, and I just kind of wandered around because it was very safe and mm-hmm. collected tile and uh, <laughs> um, like named all the rocks in the ocean because I didn't have friends. What else to do? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And were you, you know, like growing up, were you aware of the fact that this was the sort of not only was this like mom's job, but it was mm-hmm. she was doing it at a high level. She was well known. People were seeing her. I mean, were you seeing her movies? We didn't really grow up watching her movies because it was, I don't know, it was like your mom's all <laughs> kissing another dude and doing strange stuff. Right. And so we didn't really watch a lot of movies when we were little. And then, you know, obviously when we got older, I watched her and she's obviously so, so remarkably talented and all that. But no, she was just my mom. I was. I was really fortunate in in that regard, and I think that was intentional for her, you know, to have us be raised in North Carolina and have just a pretty simple childhood. I feel really privileged. So, when and why did this is a very important question? When and why did Sarah Margaret Qualley <laughs> become Margaret Qualley? Oh, <laughs> um, I grew up Sarah Margaret for sure. Yeah, and when anybody calls me Sarah Margaret, I feel like they've uh, known me for a long time. It makes me feel like a little kid in a nice way. Um, but. Basically, what happened was I moved to New York when I was 16. Yeah. And um, they were like, no, it's, it's Sarah or Margaret. <laughs> yeah, and then both. I looked around the room and there was three Sarahs in my grade. And I was like, OK, Margaret it is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like an old woman anyway, so I might as well embrace my old woman name. <laughs> right. It's like a, a Gertrude. You could bring <laughs> exactly, that back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, OK, so I want to come back to the dancing because there's sort of that was a big part of your life. Yeah. And it continues to show up in the work once in a while. So why do you think initially, just even as a little kid, you were drawn to that? I don't know if I can really express it properly, but I I just love it. I took a dance class this morning. It makes me get out of my head and um, I love the music and I love just, it just makes me very, very happy. And I think that's what it was for me initially. And then eventually I, well, I got into ballet, which is obviously amazing as Mm -hmm. well. But I think once I started doing that, I started forgetting what I loved about dancing in the first place, and it became more about just trying to be perfect. (laughs) And I went off to a boarding school for ballet, and I was really doing it a lot, you know, like six to eight hours a day and all that kind of stuff. Was that North Carolina School of the Arts? Yes, yes, yes. Because I think, like, maybe people's only reference point might be Black Swan or something to get a sense of, like, how intense it is. And so in your case— Instead of going off to normal high school, that's right. where you went off. You're like 14. It's very intense. Pretty right? intense. Yeah, it was pretty intense. So tell me if you can, like, let's talk about where that turning point is as far as just to show how advanced you got with it and then why you walked away. Because let's talk. What did you do the summer before your junior year? Starting from 11 or so, I would go off every summer and go to like a ballet intensive for six to seven weeks and so yeah it was it was pretty much your whole life at that mm-hmm. point but I did love it and I'm so lucky that I had that experience I'm really so 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 lucky but yeah so I was in New York doing an American Ballet Theater summer intensive and I was potentially going to do an apprenticeship at North Carolina Dance Theater and drop out of high school and start doing online classes for my junior year and you then, were offered a apprenticeship or yeah, yeah with people that you really really looked up to like yeah Jean-Pierre Bonfou and Patricia McBride these two incredible incredible dancers and I think a part of me was like got something that I've been working for for a really long time and then had a moment of is this uh, right. what I actually want is this what I want to do with the rest of my life and I heard there may have been and look there's bs out there as well so I don't know <laughs> if this is this, you might say like what is this thing yeah. even but 
you're basically having to do six days a week of dance. Yeah. And then there's that other day of the week and you were still choosing to do dance classes that you didn't have to do. And then there's something with a woman in a wheelchair. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's very dramatic. Well, no, um, but it's interesting. Like, that, that's a, like, that, there is actually a moment where you're yeah. like, fuck this. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, okay. So I was studying, doing the six-day-a-week kind of thing. And then on a Sunday, I would go to Steps on Broadway. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a pretty incredible place because you have some of the best dancers in the world, you know, better than I would ever have been, you know, principals from New York City Ballet and American Ballet Theater taking class, these open classes. And and then you also have people that could be your grandma taking these classes. And it's an awesome environment because of that, I think. But I was in my second class on a Sunday and there was a woman in a wheelchair taking the same class that I was taking and she was having just the time of her life, you know, and listening to the music and enjoying herself and smiling so big. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. She's not going to get anything out of this class other than just enjoying herself. She's not going to be a dancer or anything like that. And I was pretty unhappy at that particular moment and realized that I was there for all the wrong reasons and that I just wanted to be better on monday than i was on saturday and um why do you like what were you trying to prove i don't know i just i I just wanted to be perfect (laughs) which i'll never be but that's no but i mean it really is like you hear that a lot with dancers it's like this quest for perfection which is obviously not attainable of course yeah and i think that's something that's so gratifying about acting is that you know not being perfect being messy and making those mistakes and being human is actually the best part, all the messy things, all the mistakes are what people love. And ultimately, I think having the ability to lose control is actually something that people are kind of striving towards within acting. So it's been a difficult thing for me to wrap my head around (laughs) um, at first, for sure. But well, let's connect the dots. I mean, so you are done after that class was literally the end. It was. I walked out midway. Well, I started crying (laughs) and then I walked out and I didn't go back. And I I took uh, The next time I danced was actually five years later for Spike Jones for um, that Kenzo thing I did. Okay, so at the time that this break happens, you're in New York, Mm -hmm. your family is not, and they, as far as they know, this is what you were dead set on doing. So when, how did you share the news that this was not going to be what you're going to pursue anymore? And what was the game plan at that point? Yeah, um, it was a weird moment for sure. I uh, So my dad was already, I left home at 14 and my dad moved to Panama. Mm-hmm. My mom was off working. My brother and sister were in college and I didn't really know what exactly it was I was going to do. There wasn't really, uh, you know, North Carolina. It seemed strange to go back to North Carolina when no one was there. Right, right. And I didn't really want to. And I really had fallen in love with New York. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I wrote my mom a long email. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, hey, these are my feelings about dance. This is why I want to quit. I don't know what I want to do, but I can get this job because I modeling's not meant for me. But I uh, was able to make a little bit of money modeling. And, and that started already even when you were just doing dance it was all very quick okay. I, w- I was hustling <laughs> and i was like i've secured a potential opportunity right. um to make money here in new york and i found a school where i could work and go to school at the mm-hmm. same time and um i've reached out to them and um, you'd have so, it all mapped yeah out. i mapped it all out so it was really hard to say no to the plan you know and it would be the most you know stress-free right. presentation of of <laughs> the, my potential future and um i was really fortunate that both of my parents understood and supported me yeah well 
that brings us to the modeling chapter, which also it seems like it was, again, intense, but this was not a long amount of time. It was like five months or something. Yeah, maybe even shorter. It wasn't too intense for me just because I think I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was a great way to make a little bit of money and travel and, and have an excuse to stay in New York. I but think. okay, so I what I don't get, and maybe it's because I was never doing something at that high level as what you were doing with dance or, oh, or then with this, that. but like you just start modeling yeah, and within that short period that you were doing it, New York Fashion Week in 2011, Paris Fashion Week in 2012, who were some of the people you were modeling for? I was really lucky, but I think, honestly, you got to just address nepotism in that field. (laughs) I mean, like, my mom was a really big model, and I think, if I'm being honest, that's got to play a huge part in the reason why I was able to work in the capacity that I was able to work in in that small duration of time. Well, I mean, what her most associated thing is L'Oreal, right? Sure, yeah. So, but this is like Valentino. Who were some of the places you were actually wearing their stuff on runways? Um, I did one Valentino show and I think uh, three Chanel shows and then and I called did, what, it a what day. What didn't you like about it? Is it just that, I guess with dance, you are doing something Yeah. and here you're sort of I really Yeah, I really like working. Like I really like yeah. having something to sink my teeth into. I really like... Dance is so rewarding because it's physical too. You know, you push yourself and it's it's kind of this immediate result and acting's definitely not that like I'll never walk away from set and be like, huh, wow, I killed it. <laughs> I'm gonna walk away <laughs> feeling super insecure and going through all the things that I uh, should have done differently. <laughs> but that said, there's still a lot of work to be done around it and, and I'm someone that likes to do that. I'm gonna read you back another quote that I came across oh, God. <laughs> about the modeling period, just to give us, because, you know, again, I think there are probably a lot of models who are saying if I, or, you know, want to be models or whatever, who are saying like, that must've been hard to walk away from. What, what could be the reason here was, I mean, one thing you're saying is quote with modeling, there's nothing to work on other than losing weight. I definitely had an eating disorder, close quote. Okay, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is true. I think, so I quit dancing and I started modeling and I was living alone in New York and I didn't really know anyone in New York. I didn't know anyone at all, actually. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I really had in my life at that moment was modeling. And that was not something that was filling me up in any sort of way. And I think I came from a very competitive background with dance and, and I just translated that into modeling, which didn't make for a very healthy lifestyle. Yeah. And I definitely... Did you recognize that or did somebody say to you, like, this is, it's not worth it? Um, I was alone for a while. So I, I went to visit my sister for Thanksgiving, my sister Rainsford, and a uh, very talented musician. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and throw that in there. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, has, has acted, right? and she's an actress too. Yeah. yeah, she's my best friend in the whole world. And she's an angel. Anyway, I went to go visit her and she was... I saw her face. Uh, I was super skinny at the time, and she was really worried about me. And I uh, kind of realized I think it just caught up to me, and that was a big incentive for me to stop mm-hmm. because it just wasn't worth it for me. And like having a profession that is strictly based off of your appearance is just not healthy for me. <laughs> or probably anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or anyone yeah. really. Yeah. And I guess so. It was just fortuitous that around that exact same time. Probably at that same school you were referring to earlier, you wind up in an improv class. It was actually not at that school. It was someone that went to that school, though. Mm-hmm. 
I started dating someone and he wanted to bring me to an acting class and I was a little bit reluctant because sort of what you were saying earlier, I didn't anticipate following in my mother's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And I went to this acting class, an improv class, and I just loved it so much. And What do you think it was? I just had so many feelings. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do anything wrong. Right? Yeah, exactly. That, too. That's a really good way to put it. I haven't really thought about it like that. Yeah, you can't do anything wrong. And so I fell in love with it, and I was like, oh, geez, this is what <laughs> I really want to do. So I'm going to try my hardest to try to make that happen. And so what steps do you take at that point? Being like this very responsible type A person, I was like, oh, okay, well, I will try to go to a good school. So I went to RADA for the summer and studied Shakespeare. And then I, I went to Los Angeles for a bit. My sister was there. My mom was here at the time. And What was your mom making of all this after a lifetime of you not wanting anything to <laughs> yeah. do with this? She was really supportive yeah. and I'm really grateful for that. And, and my sister as well, because she's an actress as well and she helped me so much. She's the person that has run every audition with me (laughs) to date. (laughs) And um, she'll, you know, when I'm going on tape, she'll be the person that's like, no, let's do it a couple more times. And it's, I count my lucky stars about her every single day. So just so this may be a very random one, but I came across something that I've got to ask you because it sounds like something out of Victorian England or something. Mm. I don't, you and your sister in 2011 made your debuts. Oh God! At wow. Le Ball des Débutants, l'Hôtel de Crayon, <laughs> the Crayon Ball in Paris. We did both of that. It's very what does strange. that actually mean? Expl- I've always heard about it. I don't even know what that means. I don't really know what it means, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know why either of us were invited. We're the least. Um, it's actually just a bunch of real royalty like literal yeah. royalty that go to this ball in paris and you know rainy and i both grew up in north carolina and um <laughs> i feel I, like this is the thing in the old yeah. days right, movies it's like now go get married go right, find your husband right right it's right. yeah yeah <laughs> we yeah yeah um but having both grown up in a really small town we both were invited to go right. to paris to go to a fancy ball and why not like, yeah. absolutely and this was that. after the modeling was over that was before that was i think just as i I, I'm bad about this timeline. Well, no, it's, but saying, it's saying it 2011, before. so it might have been in the, yeah, it would have been during, before modeling or maybe, was out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, that was just a curiosity. <laughs> so it seems like, I don't know if this was the same person you mentioned that you were dating when you got into improv, but now you're dating some another actor and go to visit a set and suddenly you wind up with your first screen role? Oh, yes. Yeah. So he was the first person I ever dated. And yes, I visited him on set of Palo Alto. Yeah. And um, it was Gia Coppola directing. It was like James Franco's stories. Yes, exactly. And Gia Coppola is so talented and cool. And we became friends. And she asked me if I wanted to just do a real small part in her movie. And I was like, absolutely, I do, Gia. This was the girl you're playing who I remember seeing this at Telluride that year. I guess, takes away the attention of this older sire coach, James Franco, from Emma Roberts, who he also shouldn't be involved with. Right, right. But how did you even know how to act for a camera? You'd never acted for a camera before. Well, luckily, I didn't really have to do too much. much. (laughs) (laughs) I just play soccer. And then I kind of like am teary eyed while James Franco (laughs) consoles me. And that's that's it. it. But yeah, she was generous in giving me that opportunity because I definitely didn't know what I was doing. And as a result of that, suddenly now you're on more radars or is it just a coincidence that probably right around that same time you, I guess, get a call about a show called The Leftovers? Yeah, I don't know that those were 
related, but I'm grateful regardless. And yes, I, the, the Leftovers was my first job and one of my first really big auditions. And yeah, super fortunate to do that. To Just do that to show. familiarize people if they haven't seen The Leftovers on HBO, this was you're basically playing the daughter of Justin Thoreau's character, a mayor who is got this family and you as the daughter, obviously, understandably troubled by the fact that 2% of the world's population has disappeared. Not a casual thing. You know, it's, you know, it's <laughs> going to have an effect on a kid. But this was from 2014, 2017, three seasons for you. I just did two, but two. it was three seasons, correct. And just explain the chronology here, because I know that you did go off for a little while to NYU. Mm-hmm. Where's the time come yes so I got the pilot for the leftovers and I was so excited and I had a blast Peter Burke directed it and it was kind of a warped idea of what working on sets like because or what making a television show or a movie is like is because Peter Burke does two takes tops and and it's so fast and it was like all handheld and I was like great so this is quick and then um, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm really I think lucky that I had that experience too because I was so nervous and it didn't really give me time to be nervous because I was just thrown out there so yeah I did the pilot of the leftovers moved back to New York to do that and and then I went to NYU waiting to see if it was going to be picked up right yeah I didn't know if it would be picked up and then it was and so I stopped going to school and continued doing the show and the show was shot in LA it was shot in New York in New York so Mm -hmm. Okay. The first season, and then the second season was in Austin, Texas. Okay. And how many months a year would the show shoot? Or just, like, yeah. approximately? Yeah. It was, like, a lot of your time? Uh, maybe, uh, I think, like, four months Okay, so you did, because, or... I mean, it was during that run. I was wondering how you'd have the time, but that makes sense that it was during that run that a number of other things got going, including the thing that probably, in some ways, like, introduced you to a lot of people, which would have been this Spike Jones collaboration that is very cool called My Mutant Brain, <laughs> which was a ad for the perfume Kenzo World that this hit in 2016. Can you just share how, do you know how he came to know about you and ask you to audition? I, I was scrolling around last night and not only saw the ad, but the actual original iPhone footage from the first, I guess the first time you met him yeah. is also online and you had it pretty, it looked like you had it pretty down from the first <laughs> night. Thanks. Um. It's like a crazy, just this, I, I guess I didn't explain the key thing is like you're dancing like a mad person, right? That's me. That's you. <laughs> you can count on that. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like how does Spike Jones know about you? Was it from Leftovers? Um, I think he was just auditioning actors that had some sort of dance background and I was in that group. Yep. Yeah, I remember getting a call. Actually, I think it was the day of my audition asking if I wanted to audition for Spike Jones for a commercial that would involve dance and I was like absolutely I do um, <laughs> and the only thing that they told me about it was that I could potentially end up dancing like a tree and I was like okay sure yeah. they're like you're gonna go to his apartment at this time and maybe dance like a tree and I was like you got what, it what, how does one uh, dance like a I'll tree? I'll be practicing yeah. my tree yeah. <laughs> tree dance for the rest of this afternoon right. <laughs> but I got there turns out it wasn't really much of a tree dance he right. gave me a pitch of the concept for the video and then he was like, okay, well, uh, would you mind if I just put on the song and videotaped you while you just, uh, we do some improv? And it was one of those moments where 
I was nervous, but like if you don't commit and go hard, it's going to be more embarrassing <laughs> than if you, you know, <laughs> if I did it kind of yeah, like half ass, yeah. I think I would ultimately hate myself more. <laughs> so I went for it and it was the middle of winter too. I was wearing a lot of layers yeah. and I danced in his apartment for probably like 30 minutes until I'm just covered in yeah, sweat. Yeah, it was intense. And like he's just shouting at you like... Your right hand doesn't know what the rest yeah, of your butt. You're yeah, fighting yeah, with yeah. your right now hand. Now you're a vampire. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I'm like jumping on his tables and just making a mockery of myself. And I leave covered in sweat. And my agents call me and ask me how it went. And I was like, well, I either got it or I will, you know, I will never work with this person. And he thinks I'm absolutely insane. Right. One of the two. Yeah. He either loved it or really hates me now. And how quickly did you find out? I, fortunately, I didn't have to suffer for too long. Too long, I, right. I, yeah. And so the next thing is you guys are at Lincoln Center in like... It's actually the Dorothy Chandler Opera House in Los Angeles. Oh, it looked like... Okay. Yeah. I blew, yeah okay. People so, think it's Lincoln Center. Yeah. All right. So you're at Dorothy Chandler. You're wearing a like a very kind of elegant thing, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. it must have been adapted so that you can dance in that because that was like or maybe not maybe it was just a regular fancy dress i think that um umberto and carol who are the designers for kenzo made it specifically for this so so it was something that was pretty really easy to move in yeah yeah oh so amazing people should go check it out and it was like with sia's choreographer ryan huffington who uh yeah he's super talented and just the coolest guy i actually took dance class this morning at his studio in silver lake yeah yeah Nice. Well, okay. So that was one of the things that was going on during the run of Leftovers. Another thing is a movie that was very funny called The Nice Guys for Shane Black. It's you and two, you know, up and comers, Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe. How did you, I read something about like showing up to audition for this and understandably finding that a little bit intimidating. Oh, yes. (laughs) Oh, very scared. Yeah. (laughs) Because Gosling, like people I'm sure say to you like, you know, Brad Pitt or Leo, that must have been just terrifying. But like, I would think demographically, Ryan Gosling might be more. Oh, they're all they're, they're all terrifying. <laughs> they're yeah. yeah. I can't speak in front of any of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I did get to that audition, and I did not sleep the night before. <laughs> and I also had made the mistake, I think, of like staying up and rewatching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and yeah. all these amazing Shane Black movies just to really further petrify myself. <laughs> and then I got to the audition sleepless and nervous <laughs> and Ryan Gosling opens the door to the casting office and I'm just like hi <laughs> and I, uh, I I immediately feel my face just burning red and I'm like I'm touching it trying to cool it down I end up filibustering and talking did you expect about, that he was even gonna be there I did know he was gonna be okay. there I didn't find out till that morning but I knew he was gonna be there yeah. and then I was like oh great <laughs> <laughs> and and I heard something about macaroon Yes, yes. He, there was everything that could have potentially, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. He started off for me mac- macaroons. I think I sat down in the wrong chair. I talked about my dad for an hour to try to calm down. And then at a certain point, they're like, okay, well, do you want to go ahead and do this audition? And I was like, oh, you, you don't want to hear about my dad in Panama for another hour? Because I am I still scared. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, like, do you remember what you had to do? Because just to let people know, you were playing in this movie when you did land the part, a teenager who's kidnapped because she's mistaken for a porn star, basically. True. So how does one audition for such a role? Um, 
it was a pretty generic audition. Yeah, they just gave we you a just did sides. the sides, yeah. and <laughs> I knew them real well at this point because right. Rainy had run them with me a bunch. She right. knew all the lines. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And you got that, and that was that was a a very successful movie. And then, but like I guess a a big experience must have been in 2017 to go to Sundance with two movies, Vanishing of Sydney Hall, which is maybe the lesser known of the two, and then Novitiate, which. Yeah is a really good movie with it was the first film directed by this woman Maggie Betts and you're playing a young woman who is training to be a nun under the oversight of Melissa Leo who is even more terrifying in this than she was in the fighter and just like as a as the reverend mother just after Vatican II goes into effect terrorizing these young nuns in, or young nuns in training Maggie Betts said she had already seen 40 girls for the part and was ready to give up because she was just sick of the process and then decided, all right, just one more and has described her meeting with you as, quote, one of the more euphoric moments of my creative life. Oh, Megs. So why did you two click? Um, I did just instantly really feel connected to her. Mm -hmm. And I had a it was such a beautiful experience for me making that movie because she's someone who's so intuitive. And yeah, she directs kind of and like no one I've ever really experienced before. She's really sensitive and, and subtle and says a lot without having to explain herself very much. And yeah, I love Maggie. She's she's very, very special. It was also, it was a, the first time that I'd worked with pretty much all females, you know, because it was a female director, a female DP, a female mm-hmm. in every department head and female producers. And then obviously you had an entire female cast, uh, except for one priest because it takes place in a convent. And you're the lead of a film for the first time at that point, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And so what did you make of that and the character? I was thinking that, you know, in a weird way, the life of a nun in training certainly is not it, it, there are some similarities to being a dancer in training there's no shortcuts there's no you know messing yeah. around right no i think that's really accurate and i think that's kind of the way that i thought about it and, and talked about it with maggie was was it's similar to in the sense that they both kind of relish in punishment in yeah, a way right, you exactly. know um i've sinned <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you know it's a really similar mentality when you get down to it and just in terms of the i guess you could call it methody side of this was there you know when you when even when the cameras weren't rolling was there some living the life of a nun in training well I'm definitely not method or anything like that, but it was an awesome group of girls that I was working with, and we all spent a few nights in the convent and abided by their rules in the sense that we didn't speak after dinner and... um, Grand silence. Grand silence, exactly. No cell phones. No cell phones, and it it was a really special experience, and you become attuned to things that I think you generally miss. And um, you had a nice way of waking up in the morning. Melissa Leo, yeah. <laughs> Melissa Leo knocked on all of our doors. At 5 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how we all dream of waking up. That happened. It was awesome. <laughs> um, all right. So Novitiate goes to Sundance, goes over well, gets distribution. How quick do you think that that, did you feel like that had a pop? Like that in terms of suddenly you got more offers or interests or whatever? Just to, from a career perspective, did you feel anything after that? 
You know, people ask that kind of question a lot, and I don't ever really, I don't know. I just, I feel really lucky, and I feel lucky to have any of the opportunities that I've had, and I hope to just keep having the opportunity to work with people that I really admire. But I don't know that there, I don't, I don't think I'll ever feel like, oof, all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that's just in my makeup. <laughs> all, right, all right. Well, so this kind of, in a way, brings us to the the current year because obviously whatever's come out in 2019 was in the works at least in 2018 maybe 2017 as well and the first thing is Fosse Verdon which is so good a FX limited series people can still go and see on demand you're playing and ranking the dancer who was both a work and life partner Bob Fosse did they know about I'm assuming they had to know about your own experience with dance when they came to you? Yeah, I think it was a similar thing in that they were looking for actors that had some kind of dance background. And had you heard of, I would guess as at the level of dancing you had been doing, you probably knew about Anne. Oh, yes. I I watched uh, um, all that jazz many a time in (laughs) the back of a minivan on the way to various (laughs) dance spots as a kid. And um, I was a big fan of hers, a huge fan of hers, actually. And I've I've always really loved Fosse style. I think one of the things that makes him so, so attractive as a dancer is that, and a choreographer is that, he doesn't hide the, you know, we were talking earlier about how ballet is this quest for for, for perfection and Bob Fosse is really not that way at all. You know, I think it's my understanding that he initially wanted to be a dancer and then had these various physical limitations and, um, you know, he didn't have good turnout Mm. and, and then other things that were required to be a star, like a full head of hair and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. And he, uh, rather than, hiding those things well I guess he did hide his hair with the hat but <laughs> but the rest of it he really accentuated in his yeah. style you know um he it became, was all in service of the story right? yeah that was his big thing exactly and he, and he became famous for this asymmetry and for this awkwardness and for highlighting the parts of, of a body that that people had formerly and tried to, to hide mm-hmm. and I just think that's so cool yeah. that that he embraces all the things about a dancer that are technically speaking, off about yeah. them within the ballet world or the dance world. So was it a, a huge process? I mean, this was going to be a, was it five, six parts? I can't remember, seven part series? Whatever um, it is, it doesn't right. matter. it's a very long major endeavor. Was how, how many hoops did you have to jump through before they said, you know, we, you're in? I auditioned. This all, yeah, yeah, this happens to me a lot, and then they say no, and then, um, <laughs> and then at a certain point they're like, "Fine, Whatever. come back in." <laughs> so I did, and um, and I auditioned for Thomas Kale, who is one of the most lovely, talented, amazing people that I've ever met. Coming off of Hamilton. Oh yes. my God, yeah. Yes. And there was a small dance portion of the audition, and then we did a couple of mock scenes, and. Um, and he was real kind and gave me a shot. And in some ways, people say like the scariest part is when you actually get the job in some, in a case like this, because now for the first time, you've got to play a real person yeah. who is alive, yeah. who you do care what she thinks. Yeah, someone that I just grew up idolizing yeah, right. and That's I think it. hung the moon. Right. No big deal. Because <laughs> like, you know, she is around. She's 69. Yep. She's certainly got all her yep. faculties with her mm-hmm. and she was going to see this. Yes. So what do you do to prep to make sure that that's as, as uh, smooth a process as possible? Okay. So first, the first intro I had to prep was we started learning the Manson Trio. and Which was, I just have to say, I mean, 
that is too perfect. The man, oh, that, yeah. Right? I mean, just... Apparently, it's I only do Manson-related well, things. Well, no, just that, no, just that <laughs> Bob Fosse was obsessed with Manson. Yeah. And so for Pippin has this complicated mm-hmm. dance, the Manson trio, and you then go and do the Manson movie. Same year. I've been typecast. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, sorry for interrupting. No. Please. No. Uh, so we first learned the I learned the Manson trio, and I was you know working with original Broadway legends like Pam Sousa and mm-hmm. and Marianne Lamb and all these remarkably talented dancers that I'd idolized for a very mm-hmm. long time, and then. So that was my first kind of prep for the show, and and then I met Sam and Michelle, and we actually because the the first episode I have stuff to do other than dances is, is episode five, and that kind of reads like a play. So we were really fortunate to have the opportunity to go to the set and 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 rehearse, and mm-hmm. so I got to meet Sam and Michelle, who I've also looked up to for my Sam Rockwell, yeah, Michelle Williams. Yeah, I mean, does little, not get better than that. Like, yeah. so yeah, it was. Uh, dream scenario on both ends and then I got I got Anne's number from Michelle mm-hmm. I mean from Sam mm-hmm. and I talked to her on the phone about a week before I started shooting how does that conversation go uh, it was so cool <laughs> <laughs> we talked for probably two hours and I just she was really generous and let me ask her a bunch of questions and at the end you know she was like I was basically just telling her how terrified I was and how much I idolized her and how I just didn't want to mess this up. Mm-hmm. And um, and I got her blessing, and that was That's meant the world to me. And she was like, and honey, uh, if you you know need anything, just give me a call, and I'll give you, even if it's just to give a pep talk and tell you just to trust yourself and be honest. And I think I definitely abused that, that <laughs> because I called her every week for That's the rest great. of the show. What um, was the biggest thing that she was able to help you understand that you didn't get just from the script. I mean, it's, I, I, before you answer, I just have to say the thing that like I would have been maybe perplexed by a little bit. And I think that maybe she was helpful here was like this guy as talented as he is, is consistently cheating on his mm-hmm. women in his life. He will not deal with his addiction. He's there's, he's a, not a, uh, an easy character. No. And, and yet both, Gwen Vernon and and for a period of years were fiercely loyal and sort of defensive and propping up. So like, why do they put up with that? Yeah, it's interesting because she just she's one of the most generous people I've ever talked to. Her heart's huge and she just leads with her heart in every direction. And she is just an enormous amount of love for both Bob Fosse and Gwen Vernon. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard her say one bad thing about either of them you know I've heard stories but even in the stories that she tells she manages to present everyone in the most positive light that she possibly can Mm -hmm. she's really remarkable so I think you know I I can't necessarily speak to to the way that I personally would view that situation but as far as having insight uh, to the character I think I just was wildly impressed Pressed by her heart and yeah. just was like, wow, uh, you know, I want to do everything I can to try to to honor that. And was the the physical aspect of the character and the dances that were required of you and whatever, you know, did you kind of just slip back into being a dancer or was it a, a lot of, uh, was it very challenging? You know, I'm sure I definitely could have done better because <laughs> Anne Reiking, he doesn't get better than Anne Reiking. But 
I ever since I did the the Kenzo thing, actually, I've been pretty consistent with dance. Like I'm I'm definitely not in the shape I used to be, but at least I'm out there. You know, yeah. dude, I hate working out, so the only thing I do really <laughs> is go to dance class. Um, so I'm not. I could I could be worse off. I could be worse prepared for for the part, or I could have been worse prepared for the part. But it is tricky, Flossy style. It's it's like you know, patting your head and, and rubbing your belly because it's counterintuitive in certain parts and it's very specific it's more challenging than it seems Mm -hmm. uh to be honest but but i had a blast doing it how long does a a limited series like that take to come together from from you know how long were you working on this i think maybe three months okay yeah so i guess and then just for point of reference i guess some you know movies are not usually that long but probably with quentin was it was probably longer shoot than most right they had a long shoot for sure. Yeah. You know, I didn't have too long of a shoot. I had more than you anticipate because than you would anticipate just because um, the style in which Quentin shoots because <laughs> he can take his time, yeah. which I think on any other set I could potentially be frustrated by because I'm a little impatient. But on this particular set, yeah. I was grateful for any opportunity to be there and just, just be a fly yeah, on the right. wall. Yeah, exactly. It's like also no one has cell phones there, which right. is great. So it's just everyone's. He bans it. Yeah, cell phones are banned, I, and I often leave my cell phone on my trailer anyway. But but I'm alone in that, so I generally end up reading. Yeah. But in this scenario, no one had their cell phone, so everyone was forced to talk, and um, <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> and, um, All right. So when along the line was it during the Fosse Verdon period that you first? heard about you know once upon a time in hollywood i'd actually shot that first you shot the movie first i did the uh, i did once upon a time in hollywood in the summer fall and then uh Fossey okay. Burton, that like winter spring okay so what was going on at the time i guess that would have been closer to the novitiate like 2017 2018 when you are i guess going out for this like how did how did you even first hear there's gonna be a manson project I auditioned for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and like I said earlier, with the pattern, I did not get it. And, but even um, <laughs> just being asked, "Hey, you want to? You've got an audition for Tarantino?" Yeah, movie. so cool. That yeah, I would think that would be like the big. Even if you know, so what if you get it? That, yeah, you could absolutely. say you did that. Tell yeah, the grandkids. I'm with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I was I was stoked to to have the opportunity to audition in the first place, and then I did not get it. Understandable. I didn't expect to. And, um, and when you auditioned, though, did you know who you were? Like, did they say this is the character you are going out for, and it's not a real Manson family member, but it's a com- whatever Quentin's imagination? They actually there was um, a set of sides, and they gave you three three various Manson ladies that you could base your audition off of, or do your own thing and then they also said if you want to do something extra you can do something extra as well and so i based it off of one of the three that they that they gave us Mm -hmm. and did not and i also did something extra i sang i have a terrible voice i don't know why i did it myself (laughs) it's like my sister has the the, uh, she sucked all the the good voice out of the family (laughs) but i sang always is always forever maybe that's why my initial feedback was no Um, (laughs) so they didn't say sing you just felt they said they asked for something extra and i didn't know what else extra to do (laughs) so i i found one of the old you know i don't know uh charles manson has an album out I don't know if you know that, but um, uh, well, not ne- not like just come out. No, <laughs> yeah, he just released this album just, last week. Yeah, he's dropping a... <laughs> <laughs> But no, he he did have like a strange yes. music 
the career. career. Yes, yes. And so you knew that music before this. I did. What is that about? Um, I don't know this why I knew your, that, but you got to see your Spotify here. Let's check this out. <laughs> um, so you came in and sang his song. Did yeah. they? Did they? Quentin got that. I think eventually he he watched the audition, okay. yeah, and and saw that, and then I ended up singing it in the movie at some point. That's yeah. right. So okay, you don't get the part. I don't get the part. Is that crushing? No, because I didn't, didn't expect, expect to get right. the part. I was just right. like, is this yeah, right. yeah normal? That makes sense. Why would I? <laughs> and then I I didn't really have anything going on at the moment. And my father lives in Panama and he was like, well, why don't you um, book a ticket to Panama? Because then you'll get a Quentin Tarantino movie was actually what he said. And verbatim. he did not know that you would audition for he did Tarantino not. already. But his general philosophy on life is that you, if you make plans, then yeah. something great will come in the way of the plans just that you've random, made. He could have but said yeah, you're going to get a Scorsese yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely. He just drew a That's incredible funny. director yeah. out of the hat and happened to be Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Actually, <laughs> I just didn't get a Tarantino movie, but all right. And, um, <laughs> and I didn't um, go to Panama either. And look what that did for me. Yeah. Um, but I actually, I did book a ticket to Panama. Me yeah. and my sister went to Panama. And then our second day there on the beach, I got a call from my agent I actually didn't even have self-service. It was very strange, very kind of magical feeling. Yeah. And he said that I needed to come home and do a chemistry with Brad Pitt. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, sure, I'll come right home. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, okay, so that you know you're coming back to do that. Mm -hmm. First of all, there's a couple of things that I would I would have thought in that moment if I— First of all, it's, yeah, it's scary, it's Brad Pitt. Secondly, My dad's a psychic. a chemistry reading <laughs> with Brad Pitt, who's— you know, a very youthful and handsome, but like 50 something year old guy. And you are 23 at that time. Correct. So did you know how this character was even going to be interacting with this stunt guy played by Brad Pitt? I, the, the, the sides that they gave for the audition, for the, um, for the yeah, yeah, for yeah. the chemistry read were, uh, was the scene in the car. So Okay, so yeah. that was, yeah, there's no, you cut right to the chase. There. Yeah. So you had not previously interacted with Brad Pitt. I didn't, know. You guys weren't on We didn't the have same, a casual friendship, no. Circuit. <laughs> uh, so you get there and take us through that. Okay. They've already started doing the movie at this point because I think I was one of the last people to be mm -hmm. cast. Like I said, they didn't want to cast me. They ran out of options. And then they were like, well, like, okay. <laughs> and um, <laughs> No more 23-year-olds. All right. We've looked around. Yeah. I guess this is the best we've got. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so I went to the stages where they were in production and I hung out until they had a, a minute to stop shooting and that time where I was waiting actually well Quentin showed me around the set a little bit and meeting him was also mm -hmm. I was very starstruck <laughs> I'm a huge fan this is so cool <laughs> and then he was like well honey you can just go sit over here and and uh, it'll just be a minute and so I sat down on one of the chairs and I'm reading a book and then I stand up and turn around and I'm sitting in Leonardo DiCaprio's chair and I'm like, for the love of God, what is happening? And um, and then ultimately we finally got around to, to doing the chemistry read. And What do you do to yourself? As, maybe now you're a little more immune to this, but like, all right, you've got to do a chemistry read with Brad Pitt, who you've probably watched your entire life. How do you psych yourself out of being... 
I'm not immune to it. I'm sweating right now from doing a podcast. So like, <laughs> oh, we're not that. We're not that. We're not Brad Pitt. Let's be honest. Come on. I'm still <laughs> nervous, man. Um, no, it was. I think one of the most special things about one, there's so many special things about Quentin, mm-hmm. but one of the really awesome things about him is that he is so enthusiastic about what he does. You know, I was obviously wildly enthused to be there and um and he really meets you right there he's like a little kid on christmas every day that he shows up Mm -hmm. to set so when i got there he was you know taking me on a tour of the set and showing me all the cool stuff that he'd made and so it's like the cool kids are excited you know so i can be unabashedly enthusiastic without you know feeling super embarrassed and um (laughs) i guess i always feel super embarrassed but um but i'm just (laughs) yeah and i even Brad Pitt's really excited to be there because it's a Quentin Tarantino yeah. movie. Like, there's not anyone that wouldn't be right. stoked about that experience. Um, so and that was disarming. So thing. now you, what did you have? You had a lot of time at the chemistry read or it was just a quick thing? It was pretty quick. We yeah. did the the scene a few times and, that, and was that was it. How quickly did you find out? They put me out of my misery pretty soon too. Okay. So. And now you go to work. And actually, before you go to work, Quentin is quite well known for, like, giving out homework. What did he want you to watch or read or whatever? He gave me a few DVDs, uh, like documentaries, to watch about the family. Yeah. And did that. And he did not, though, give anyone except Brad and Leo the entire script, from what I understand. So did you know what? this film was even really about i got to read the script i did get oh, you to did read see the, the script, okay um but i just didn't get to keep it okay, i i, got, okay, I went okay. to his office and myself almost confiscated and <laughs> i went to a little room and read it and um it was a blast to read it's a even the ending was there not the ending okay. so the, everything but the ending but i did find out what happened in the end while i was on set because i wanted to know when i knew there was something up and right. basically I was like, Brad, come on, <laughs> what happens? Up, and yeah. um, and he was like, I, he didn't tell me directly. Actually, he said, uh, he said, thinking glorious bastards, and then that was enough. I was like, <laughs> cool. Changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the other thing you got to do to before you show up there is to learn and then deliver Quentin Tarantino dialogue, which, with the possible exception of Aaron Sorkin is probably the most, like, immediately identifiable, but also complex. You're not going to go there and, like, improvise, I think, right? Maybe. There was a little bit, little? actually. Like, yeah. a, a, he gives you, I mean, not that you ever, not that I ever should have, because <laughs> I just, um, but I don't think anything I, I anyway, okay. But, um, no, yeah, his dialogue is, it's like a song. It's like a song. I feel right. like he's, like, a really talented jazz musician and and like everything that he's really physical too in his directing like everything about him is like this one beautiful orchestrated thing that's like has a rhythm to it that that it's it's, yeah um, there you go maybe there you go (laughs) but it is it's just the coolest thing ever (laughs) so the scene you're in some ways, like, I'm trying to, I think it would be maybe your primary scene in the movie would be the one in the car. Mm-hmm. They, they shut down a highway to do this scene in, with you and Brad in a car. 
the scene that you had read for to get the part, and now the added element of a couple other things, feet, mm-hmm. uh, which is a notorious Quentin, I guess fetish would be the word. And then also, well, what I was kind of, I, from reading up for this, reading up on, on you before this, I was sort of more surprised that you were, I was sort of surprised that you were more self-conscious about the feet than having to have like a bush of armpit hair. Yeah, just the feet, man. (laughs) (laughs) What is it about? What's wrong with your feet? I'm a dancer. I wore point shoes for far too long to expose those guys. I don't wear flip flops. I don't wear sandals at the beach. I'll wear Converse like until I get in the water. It was, it was, yeah, a big insecurity for me. And now I feel like I've just had to, you know, the world has embraced your feet. At this point, there's just like, what else is there? Like, I've I've shown them in the the biggest possible. Way that I could, Filthy, and, you know, yeah. So, people still like them. I wouldn't go that far, well, but it's it's, whatever. <laughs> it's I, I'm over it now. <laughs> I, have, I have to be. <laughs> okay, so Red, you kept a journal during the shoot. So, how if we were to get you to cough that up? How would you have generally described this experience of of the time that you're there with a cast that can never be really beaten with the director who and writer director who's like generational once in a generation guy i've reckoned with the fact that every experience i have from this point on will just be a disappointment (laughs) 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 i've peaked Um, (laughs) but i mean was overall you would have said it in the in the moment i'm enjoying this or i'm stressed or um i don't I'm not confident that I'm doing a good job or, you know what, I'm starting to get better. Like, what, mm-hmm. would, what would we see there? Um, definitely not confident. That's not a word I would use <laughs> to describe myself. Um, but I was just really grateful for every single day on set. And, um, and just, it was a trip. The whole thing was just very surreal. It was mind-blowing and uh, kind of pinching yourself experience and and you know the journal was just to to kind of try to remember everything was happening because it was just so exciting for me and um I was on cloud nine and and trying to take it all in yeah film goes to can I think you were working Mm -hmm. so you were unable to be there so your first like taste of seeing this movie with an audience was the premiere yeah which was on July 22nd, a Monday, following a Tuesday, July 16th, when you woke up and found out you're an Emmy nominee for Fosse Vernon. So how did you process that week? It was a great week. <laughs> that was a great week. No, it was an awesome week. Yeah, I, uh, my dad came in from Panama for the premiere. He'd never been to one of my premieres, so that was really special to have him there. And when I stay in L.A., I live with my sister, so we were all just hanging out, and I had a good family time, and... Um, I had, a, I had a blast at the premiere. I got to see Quentin and thank him and give him a big hug. And everyone in that movie is so kind and so just really obviously remarkably talented and cool to be around. And, and then um, the Emmy thing was exciting. I'm going to be the most stoked Emmy loser out there. And um, <laughs> Well, definitely one of the youngest <laughs> nominees probably ever in that category. Uh, I, that's, yeah, it's super cool. And um, and it was, a, it was a very exciting week. Awesome. Well, last question. I was thinking about it, and I'm like, you have got to be one of only a handful of young actresses today. Maybe another, another is Zoe Deutsch, where you are having your own successful career on the footsteps of a mom who 
has gone through very similar experiences. And I guess I just wonder, having someone that close to you with the benefit of time and experience of seeing what, what you're getting into, have you had any time to sort of just decompress and have a big picture conversation about like just what could be in store for you, what you hope to do with this opportunity, just what is next? Well, I think I'm really lucky in terms of my relationship with my mom because we just keep it very much, you know, she's just my mom and doesn't, we don't really talk about movie stuff too much, which I like. And then in terms of big picture stuff, I have no idea what any kind of big picture thing looks like. <laughs> I'm just, you know, hoping that we're all still making movies in 10 years and the the, the world isn't ending because, you know, <laughs> yes. the climate yes. is just in peril. Yes. <laughs> but, That's a good, uh, good point. Yeah. That level. Let me just end on a real <laughs> sad Jazz note for you. fingers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, I just hope to keep working. I really love doing this. It makes me really happy. I care a lot. And, and, um, I hope to keep having, you know, an opportunity to do what I love. Well, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much for tuning into Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on iTunes or your podcast app, and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Finally, be sure to check out the other podcasts that are part of the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, all of which are excellent. Leslie Goldberg and Daniel Feinberg's TV's Top 5, Seth Abramovich and Chip Pope's It Happened in Hollywood, Carolyn Giardina's Behind the Screen, and Josh Wiggler's series regular. On behalf of all of us at The Hollywood Reporter, thanks for tuning in. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.